Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thanks, Dee. All right, well, it's a great privilege to be able to share with you a subject that I have been studying deeply over many years. It goes back to 1998, I guess, so 20, 25 years or so that... Um, I have been looking at this subject, and it's, it's very simple, but it's very profound. And I will start off, because I've taught it a lot in Africa, and, um, and I'll start off the way I normally do there, and say this, when we are born, all of us have a blank sheet that can be written upon, <clears throat> and the way you see the world at that stage is blank, and we all have those lenses in our eyes as we, <laughs> as we are born. Um, and we all, we, all have, we, all, we all see exactly the same. There's nothing to be seen at that stage. And they reckon kids only start focusing around about six weeks or so. And then, uh, and then you've got this mother and this father who begin to draw on your lenses and give you a picture of what the world is. And so you'll find some parents uh, who come from the green background will color your lenses in green, okay? <laughs> and, um, and so you will see the world through green lenses. Why? Because you grew up in a green home. Um, but then there are some people who grew up in a pink home. And so when they look, they see the world through pink lenses. And these people have been told that when you meet green people they're going to behave in a particular way and you can't trust them. And so that's how worldview grows. And it affects absolutely every area of your life. Um, and unless you have thought about it, you will not understand how deeply it has affected your life. Because every culture, every people group, every family, uh, even your neighbors have got a different worldview to you. And within a family... You can have a mixture of a husband and wife who are, come from different backgrounds. And depending how much they each influence the children or the parents, the grandparents of those children are influenced by that. And then the schooling system and everything else, you come out with a worldview which may be challenging until one day you meet the Lord Jesus and he says to you, let me put on your eyes glasses that you may see clearly and have a biblical worldview of what life is, because this is the truth. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And if you want to go home now, you're welcome to. <laughs> but there is more. Um, and the, the more is this, that if we can put up the first slide, it, it is inevitable and unavoidable that what we think is what we are, and what we are is what we think. And what we do and how we do it comes from what we think. And you can't avoid it. So you are what your thoughts are. Um, I'm going to make notes available. And everything that I say and all that's on the notes will be available. And it will be available for download. So don't, you don't need to write anything down. We'll arrange with Fred to put those up so that you can download them. So you've got all the scriptures and all the quotations. 
Um, but it, it works a little like this. There was a, a young lady who got married to a young man, and they were happily married, went off for honeymoon, came back, and uh, they got back home, and they decided, well, she decided, don't you think it would be a good idea to have mom and dad and gran around for Sunday lunch in our new home? And he said, what a good idea. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. And so he said to her, what are you going to cook for them? And she said, I'm going to do them a roast. Um, and uh, a leg, it's going to be a leg of lamb. And he said, really? And she said, yeah, I'm going to do a leg of lamb for them. And uh, so they got out the pot and they got the leg of lamb. And Sunday morning came and he, uh, he watched with interest as she started to prepare this meal for her parents and her grandmother. And they were very excited. And uh, about halfway through the morning, she said to him, I wonder if you just get the hacksaw and just cut the bone of, you know, of the leg of lamb. Um, and he said, okay, but, um, and he started calling her honey. He said, but honey, um, why would you do that? And she said, um, because that's how you do leg of lamb. And he said, oh, I didn't know that. He said, you always do it that way. Oh, he said, well, not knowing any better, he went off and he got the hacksaw and he cut through the bone of the leg of lamb and she cooked it and all was well and they were having lunch and he was still a bit puzzled and trying to find out why. He said to her, why did we have to cut the leg of She said, you always do it like that. Ask mom. So they were sitting around. She, she said, mom, he said, mom, just, just help me. Why do you always cut the leg of lamb? And she said, because that's how you do it. So we've always done it like that. That's the way it's done. And, um, and he said, but, but what's the reasoning? There's no reasoning. That's how you... Anyway, Granny's here. Ask Gran. So he turns to Gran and he says to her, Gran, please help me. I, I'm trying to just understand something very simple. Why did we have to cut the leg of lamb through the bone with a the, with the hacksaw? And, um, and she said, oh, oh, she said, my pot was always too small. And that's how you get a worldview. <laughs> See? And it's not necessarily based on truth. That's the problem. And, and because a lot of our worldview has demonic influence behind it, there's the powers of darkness that are influencing the world in which we live. A lot of what we believe is not truth. And we need to get that early on and understand that early on because there is a truth, but it comes through putting on the spectacles that Jesus wants us to put on, and that is seeing the world through the eyes of Scripture. And as I said, it, it sounds simple. It is simple, it's profound, but it's extremely difficult to get rid of your worldview that you grew up with and put on a biblical worldview. And so we're going to have a look at that because it's, it, it runs very deep. You see, in your, in your culture and traditions what, of what you grew up with, that's what formed your worldview, and it's, it's deep and it's perceived truth, and you think it's truth. Like it's thought to be true that you have to cut the bone in half. It's not truth. It's, it's just something that is a tradition in the family or, a, or, or something that's come from somewhere that has influenced your thinking, but it's not absolute truth. Just a, as, a, as a personal example, because I want you to know how deeply it runs. 
Um, my mom died about 17 years ago, but she stayed with us for the last three years of her life. And Jane said to me at one stage, uh, probably three or four years ago, as I said, I've been studying these, you know, this worldview thing for a long time. And, I, and, I, and Jane said to me um, one day, just in casual talking, isn't it funny that your mom always got the, a funny look on her face when she spoke about the Roman Catholics? I said, what? What do you mean? She said, yeah, mom used to just get a funny look. And then I began to think about, why would mom have, have had a funny look on her face? And, and then I remembered her mother was Irish. But she grew up in Dublin as a Protestant. And we all know the huge fight that has gone on forever between the Protestants and the Catholics in Ireland. Now, we never spoke about it ever. But I suddenly realized in that moment, I, I had an issue in my own life when it came to Roman Catholic. Now, we've, we've had precious friends who love Jesus and, you know, and I mean, there are different, it's another discussion, there are different parts of the Roman Catholic Church that believe different things to the way we would understand it. But they, many of them are, are born again and, and going to be with Jesus. And we, you know, we had, we lived in a mission hospital with a couple who were and Precious, precious people. But I, I had an issue. Now, we'd never spoken about it. And I suddenly realized that my grandmother's issues got passed on to me, and I didn't even know it. Um, and I thought I dealt with all my stuff, and this was just a few years ago. And so there's another thing I had to deal with. So we will be constantly, all of our lives, dealing with our worldviews, and replacing that which the enemy has put there or the world has given us with that which is truth from God's word. And as I said, it's not easy to do. Um, and it, 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 will, it, will, it will even manifest in very simple things. One of the things I always remember is when I was on the mission hospital, I was about to start an operation once. And we used to get nursing staff from just locally and... Uh, it was a very isolated mission hospital, and the folk who were local, you know, they, there was no electricity there. They'd, come, they'd grown up in huts. And um, I remember saying to the nurse, um, nurse, just quickly plug in. I needed the suction machine. And I said, just plug the, you know, plug the suction in, please. And, and she, she picked up this plug and looked at it. She was a new little nurse, looked at it, and we have a three-pronged plug in South Africa. There's a bigger side and two small ones. And she looked at this, and she looked at the wall. And I could see she was incapable of figuring out that the big one went in the top and the little ones went in the bottom. And my heart bled for her because she grew up in a hut. She'd never seen one before. She'd never played puzzles. She'd never had her worldview formed so that she could have an understanding of things beyond what she was. Now, she would have understood a whole different aspect to life and could have could have helped me out if I ended up in a, in a hut without anything to eat or drink. <laughs> She'd have been able to save my life. But, but in the, on the hospital setting, she was out of her worldview. And so these things go very deeply into our lives, and we've all got blind spots. I think that's what we have to understand. And a blind spot is a thing that you don't know that you've got because you can't see it. And so when we react in certain ways in the church or with people or we have a response or something that jumps up inside of us, we need to ask ourselves, what, where does that come from? How, how did I get a blind spot in that area? 
and, uh, and should I not be dealing with it? Jesus said this in John chapter 8, 31. 8 verse 31, he said, he said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, this is the amplified, in other words, you hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, then you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I believe from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis all the way right through to, to Revelation, I, I believe God is speaking to us about, it's about his kingdom ultimately. And every kingdom needs a, needs a governmental, governmental system. And I think that, that he bases on fatherhood and it needs an economy and that he bases on generosity. And that's a broad way of looking at the whole of scripture. I do understand it's very broad, but if you look right from Genesis through to Revelation, he, he speaks to us about how the kingdom operates and how we should be living within, you know, within that kingdom and what the rules and the life is and what the worldview is of that kingdom. Um, and at, at its heart is fatherhood and generosity. Um, and Jesus is saying, if, if you will stick to my word, if you'll abide by it, and not only hear it, and I think that's what we, that's what we need to hear, not just hear it, but live by it, then he says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the more I've looked at biblical worldview and, and seeing life through the eyes of scripture, the more I've realized the impact the truth has on every aspect of life. Every area, every domain, every, every part of life, every job there is, it's all impacted by God's word. The message says it this way, John 8, 31. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who claimed to believe in him. And he said to them, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, then you are my disciples for sure. Then you'll experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will set, will, uh, sorry, and the truth will free you. Now, how does that happen? How, how, do we, how do we get that biblical truth? Well, Romans 12 verse two says that we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. And that's really what I'm hoping we will be able to do in these next few nights, just to renew our minds and have an impact made upon us by the word of God so that we will understand that we can change and we will be changed when we take hold of our thoughts and we are transformed by the renewing of our mind and replace what the world has given us and the world's worldview, replace that with a biblical worldview and begin to live life uh, not just hearing about it, but living it as Christ would have us live it. And it, it, it's not a miracle. It doesn't happen by a miracle. I, I wish it did. It's a, it's a long, drawn-out process. It's an ongoing, daily struggle with putting off my past and putting on the new. Romans 12, verse 2 in the message says it this way. It's, it's lovely. I just love the way Eugene Peterson captured it here. He says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you.
And that's the hope of a biblical worldview that we'll be formed into his image and begin to live life as he would have us live it. So if Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I guess for all of us in this room tonight, we, we, we have him as Lord of our lives. Uh, and he is everything I need and, and uh, I don't need any more than him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, then I need to be obedient to him. But he said this, he said, don't call me Lord, Lord, and then not listen to me. Um, and I've discovered over the years, it's not because he wants to make me follow a set of rules, because he wants to set me free. He wants me to be free of the captivity that I've been taken into as a result of a, of a worldview and a belief system that has kept me captive. And he wants, to, he wants to set me free from that, and he wants us all to be free of that. And we come free of that as we obey him and do what he says. Luke 6.46, he says, build your house on the rock. Um, so you ask them the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So that's the aim and that's the purpose that Christ has for saying, just do what I, you know, just do it. Just what I've told you, do it, live by it. Um, and then when the storms of life come, you'll stand strong. There are, there are some lovely examples of worldview that I've come across over the years. When, the one story, um, as I recall, was it was, it was written up in the, in the Time magazine. Story of a Mexican uh, who lived, obviously, in, in Mexico and was a fisherman. And there was this very wealthy New York financier who was on, you know, worked in the stock exchange and, um, yeah, had made a lot of money uh, on the stock market. And so he would go down to Mexico and to this lovely little bay and have a, he'd have a holiday once a year and he would sit on the balcony and he'd look out over this beautiful bay and he'd watch this Mexican fisherman get up in the morning, launch his little boat, paddle out into the bay and, uh, catch some fish, come home at lunchtime, they'd, uh, they'd cook the fish, he would uh, then go for a bit of a siesta, in the evening he'd sit with his vino and uh, he would uh, play his guitar and he'd play with his grandchildren. And, and this New York financier, he, he got a little concerned about it in the end, he went to go and speak to this guy after a couple of years, he said to him, you know what, I've, I've watched you for years now, he said, if you were to just stay out the whole day, not come in at lunchtime, you'd double your, your catch. Then he said, you could, you could use that second half of the day's catch to purchase, eventually you could purchase another boat and then you could get somebody else to you know, fish with that boat and then you'd have two boats going out. You make quite a lot of money like that. And the, and the Mexican said to him, and then, senor? He said, well, and then, he said, then you can, um, he said, you can, probably get a third or a fourth boat. I mean, eventually you could probably have a fleet of boats going out every morning. 
And the Mexican said to him, oh, and then, senor? He said, why? He said, you could float that company on the New York Stock Exchange. You can make a lot of money. Mexican said, ah. Oh. And then, senor? Well, then you, then you sell your stocks. Eventually, you sell the company, make a fortune. And then, senor? Well, he said, then you can, oh, I don't know, you can, you can play your guitar in the evening and you can drink your vino and play with the grandchildren. You can do whatever you like. He says, hey, senor, I'm already doing it. <laughs> so, so worldviews can be very different, can't they? There may, be, there may be a truth in it, and there may not. So I'm not saying who's right, the Mexican or the, the New York financier, and I don't think there's a right or wrong in that. I just think we need to understand that we see things very differently from some people. I remember standing in Kenya once on the banks of the Tana River. Now, the Tana River is the biggest river in Kenya. It's a big river. It's, it's wider than the width of this, you know, of the building and flows strongly. Stood there uh, with, we, we were on a mission trip up there, and, um, and we were in a, in a field um, of corn. And, uh, and, and they'd come up very typically, as most, and a lot of corn does in Africa, comes up to about this height, leans over, goes yellow, and has a little bit of a thing like this on it. And, um, and we asked the, the guy who was the farmer, he was a, local man, and they have a sort of a mixed um, Islamic and animistic mixture there uh, on the Tana River. The Arabs have come up uh, up the Tana Valley. Um, they came down the coast uh, and, then, and then up the Tana River. And, uh, and so we said to him, what's the story here? You know, what happened to your crop? Uh, he said, oh, all through an interpreter, um, it didn't rain. And, and my worldview, what do you mean it didn't rain? You've got this monster river here. What are you guys doing? Um, didn't rain. Crops didn't grow. And that's his worldview. And, and I can't get my mind around it because of where I come from. Because our worldview and a biblical worldview, and we'll, we'll come to that, says then... Um, in practical terms, get a bucket, <laughs> you know, and just water the jolly things. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that, that would seem logical, but for him it wasn't. Um, we've, I remember the um, Alfonso, who coordinates missions back home, he, he once delivered seed to a place where people were battling to, um, to, to find food and so on, and took them seed. It was seed to plant and grow and whatever else. Um, and he went back about a month later to find out how they were doing. He was busy teaching them farming God's way and things, and when he got there, there was nothing there, and he said to them, what, what's the, what happened? <laughs> Didn't the seed come up? Was there something wrong with it? No, no, they said, no, we, we knew that the, uh, the, the food relief was coming um, about two weeks after you left, and we knew that the, 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 you know, the, the maize wouldn't have grown by then, the corn wouldn't have been up by then, so... So we, we ate the seed, and then we just waited for the, for the food to come, which is handed out by United Nations or USAID or somebody uh, very kindly and puts a worldview into the people that says, I can't do anything myself. I need to wait for somebody to give me something. Um, 
There's a, a saying that Dara Miller has, has made quite famous. It's this. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, um, which comes out of the Psalms. And we'll quote it a number of times as we go through. But what it means is this, that ideas have consequences. How you think is how you are. I'm going to just share a story because um, it, it comes out of Africa, but you realize that you know, that's obviously our background, and we, we live there. And I've done a lot of work in Kenya over the years. Um, and some years back, back in 2004, we had a conference back home in Port Elizabeth. Uh, it was a Church of the Nations conference, and some of you might even have been there. But I taught on some of the stuff that I'm going to be teaching, uh, particularly the last night. And I had brought down from Kenya uh, a number of the guys that I was working with there. And this particular man, if we can just put the picture up, um, uh, he was a school principal, and um, Bishop Masika, and he then started, he got involved with, with church and so on, uh, but he'd been a school principal and been teaching in school, and he came down and he looked at, uh, well, he, he heard the teaching, and then he went across the road to the school across the road, and Bev's here tonight, her husband Gavin was principal of the school at that stage, and, um, and he looked at that, and he realized they've been, they've been teaching an academic thing all these years, and nothing changes. Um, and he suddenly, the lights came on for him, and he began to teach uh, a biblical worldview of life. And so the next one, if we could just go through those pictures now, he uh, invited me to come to his little village called uh, Mutako, and it was... Um, it's a, it's a village about three and a half hours outside of um, Nairobi, to the east of Nairobi, uh, in the Yatta district. It's one of the poorest, it was one of the poorest districts in Kenya. Uh, very poor rainfall, and the rains come twice a year, and then you know, in between there's nothing, so the crops don't grow, and it was just a disaster. And he, he suddenly got the message that we can do something about this, and he decided... If he could get hold of the grannies, and so any, anybody who was going to be helped in this process had to be 70 or older. The next one, um, next picture, thank you. Uh, they began at the school property there, the high school, and that was the, the uh, that's Masika on, on my right, and uh, on my left was the school principal. And they, I mean, just look at those pawpaw trees. They'd never had anything like that before. But they suddenly realized that they could do something. Next one. And so they taught the people there, and they called it. This was a picture out of a magazine by World Vision who visited there and said a miracle's taken place in the village. Um, I, I want to say to you, it was not a miracle. It was following of the principles of God. It was a biblical worldview that created that, which appeared to be a miracle. But it's actually, we always say, isn't it better to, to live by the principles and not need a miracle? And so they got the miracle principles. <laughs> the principles of God will produce what appears to be a miracle. And so they had uh, decided, he decided he wanted to do a conference, which he called Operation Morio Out. That was the sheet I think we showed right at the beginning. And it's the, the word Morio is the combo word for relief food. And the whole purpose of what he was doing was to get rid of relief food out of the area. 
And so he began to teach them. Next one. And they transformed the area. That there is a dam that was dug by hand. There were no dams in the area. They dug it by hand. They, there's soft rock there. They dig those dams deep and narrow, and then they have a furrow that comes from above on the hill or from the, the dirt road at the top of the property or whatever. And, f and when, when it rains, of course, the water goes into there. Next one. And um, there he had constructed a tank on top of the, off top of the sticks, and, and he had had one of those treadle pumps which you pump with your, you know, by pumping like this by riding a bicycle on it. But by the time we got there, uh, he had solar doing the pumping, and that was all done now by drip irrigation. Now, that, that, that area now, they have dug, well, when, at the time I took that photograph, it's probably more now, but at that, at that point, they had dug 3,000 dams in the area because one man had his worldview changed. And the 3,000 dams had made such an impact. Uh, we actually had in our leadership school uh, someone from Kenya who said that she lived in the east of, 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 uh, of um, Kenya and she'd been through there by train and she wondered what had happened to the Yotta district because it's all green now, she said, and there's crops everywhere. And he had, at the, at the point that we were there, he, he was about to harvest 10,000 cabbages. He was employing 10 people, and three years before that, he was living in the slums in Nairobi. There's a, one of the biggest slums in the world. There's well over a million people living there in Kibera, uh, just outside Nairobi. And he was taking bread, he was buying bread, putting it on, the, on his bicycle in the back, and walking through the slum area, because these tin shacks are built right on top of each other, he's walking through there, selling the bread, and trying to make a little bit to feed his family. And Masika, Bishop Masika, called the young men back into the district and said, everybody who's been here, come back, and had a conference. This young man got born again. He was living on a what they call a shamba, this, this small farm, um, and... He got the principles, and he began to farm. And it was three years. These pictures I took were three years after he came back from the, from the slum. A phenomenal, phenomenal story of one man whose mind got changed, who suddenly realized that we can make a difference. We just have to do what the Scripture says and take authority over and not be under. And we'll look at that. So... Our worldview is what we've been taught and what we have experienced, and it determines how we behave. Um, there's a great quotation from Nelson Mandela. It says this. It says, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can also be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. So we can change our worldview. We can. That's the wonderful, wonderful news that I have for you. And God expects us to. He expects us to begin to live life on his principles and according to his worldview. So how you see the world, um, what you think is really true, may not be so. Um, and as I said, Worldviews, it's a lens. It's these lenses that we look through, pink or green or whatever it is you got. 
not your fault. That's the interesting thing. You can't blame yourself for your worldview. You can blame yourself for not allowing it to be changed because you don't allow yourself to be changed through the Word of God and by the, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to learn to put on those biblical glasses. And on the basis of your worldview, you see, you're making your daily decisions, whether you know that or not. Your, your choices, it governs the way we act, governs our choices, our, our immediate responses to things are all governed by our biblical worldview. Um, and God wants us to learn to trust him and his worldview implicitly so that whatever he says, we begin to live that way because there are very positive results as a, you know, as a consequence. Um, so biblical worldview is really the trust that he really is who he says he is and that he has the answers to life. So from Genesis to Revelation, there are answers to whatever we need to know. Um, and his, his truth claims are real. And we have, to, we have to, if we accept that, we will begin to live. And I can personally testify of, of, of lives that were changed. James, James and my life have changed over the years as we have lived out the principles of God in and try to live them out in every area of our life, whether it was the finances or our relationship or whatever else it was. There's a great definition, in, just to continue in our looking at worldview, from the Truth Project, which was a ministry of uh, focus on the family. It says this, it says, worldview um, is a comprehensive set of truth claims. Let's put that up. Worldview is a comprehensive set of truth claims that purports to paint a picture of reality. The framework from which we review reality and make sense of life in the world. Worldview is a set of basic assumptions that help you make sense of reality. A worldview is a lens, a, a glasses, or a filter through which we see life. And on the basis of your worldview, you make your momentary judgments in life. And there is, and this we need to understand, there is a cosmic battle going on for your thoughts. Satan is fighting for your thoughts, and the Lord is fighting for our thoughts. And we, we get to choose what we think. So we're not forced to think what we think, but we do get to choose what we think. And this cosmic battle that's going on in your head all the time, it will be all the time, because the battle is for the mind of man. And whoever wins the battle is going to win the battle. <laughs> That's the reality. So we need, to, um, we need to make sure that we are constantly building uh, the worldview that we have on the truth of, of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful to the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So here, here's the area of the battle, all right? It's speculation, it's knowledge, and it's thought. That's where the battle lies, and those are the things we have to take authority over. And Satan has deceived mankind through, through their minds. That's the reality. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, wisdom is supreme, therefore Get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. Darrow Miller defined worldview like this. He said, a worldview is a set of assumptions held consciously or unconsciously in faith about the basic makeup of the world 
and how the world works. Alvin Toffler said this in Future, uh, Future Shock. He said, every person carries in his head a mental model of the world, a subjective representation of external reality. Proverbs says to us in Proverbs 23 verse 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And um, John 8:31 verse 32 out of the New Living Translation, just another translation of what we read earlier. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teachings and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Father, we want to pray that you will direct our thoughts even as we now just take a break and help us to get our minds around the concept. And as we journey this together, I pray, Lord Holy Spirit, that you will encourage each and every person who journeys this with us to, to put off the worldly thinking, the, the thinking of the old man, and get rid of that which is what we have grown up with, and all of that which is not truth, and help us to put on the truth, to obey it, to live by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, quick five-minute break, and then uh, we'll get back. We'll be finished by 8.30.